0: Low Profile with Markley Morrison, the podcast that brings you the best and brightest music underdogs you never knew you needed in your life. Today's episode finds Markley in Claremont, California, where he sat and talked with Henry Barnes of Amps for Christ.
1: you on location at the Folk Music Center in Claremont, California. This is Low Profile with Mark Lee, yours truly, and I am joined today by a musician named Henry Barnes of the project Amps for Christ. And, uh, I've been listening to Amps for Christ for a little over a couple of decades, I guess, and, uh, Honored to be in your presence. Henry, welcome, or I
0: guess. Yes, well, hi, hello. This is where I work, so (laughs) I'm welcoming welcoming you, too. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to the Folk Music Center, everybody. Uh, This is, we're in one of the uh, teaching rooms, uh, which we made a couple of little ones in the back. This building was built in the 20s, early 20s. Might have even been like, around, I've, I've seen a picture of a bank down the street in 1913, and there was a little spot where this building is, so it's really, really old bricks we're talking to here, and uh, uh, I w- started working here back in 2002, and it's been a really great, I uh, hate to use the term great run, but a ride. But uh, it's sure. been fun. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, in 2004, I was working here, and I made a, a record. I finished a record called "The People at Large," and I sent it up to Olympia because I'd been going up to Olympia with Manas the Bastard for years. And uh, after Manas the Bastard, I started doing amps for Christ, and because I've been writing that on all my amps, you know, in Manage the Bastard, you can see there's pictures of the old days where you can see Ask Christ on the amps. I had already started it, and I was thinking of a name. At first it was gonna be, there was a wheat mold uh, in the Midwest, and I was working at the Suncrest Bakery, which I think me and Mark are gonna go down and visit in a minute. Sounds fun. Yeah, Where Eric Wood worked, and I worked, and a bunch of musicians worked there over the years. Eric
1: Wood, is he was your counterpart in Man is the Bastard? And
0: Bastard Noise, yeah, we yeah. started that together. Okay. He was uh, in Pillsbury Hardcore and Neanderthal too. And so he's, he's kind of a badass. And uh, he worked, at, I got him a job. He, he worked there after I did, and I trained him. And the day that he was hired, he walked towards the back door I looked out the window. I saw the new guy, which I had just met. Well, I knew him from like around town. I'd see him at coffee bars and stuff. And he had in his paw test pressings for fighting music, Neanderthal fighting music. He had the test pressings for that in his hand as he walked towards the back door for me to train him to bake all the baked goods. And so that's how we kind of started out. And then, then they were looking for a guitar player, and they had two members and just the him and the drummer Joel Connell. And uh, I was, he liked noise, even then I was kind of noisy. And he liked it, so I was hired. And we were were called charred remains at first because we hadn't thought of a name, and then it was like, oh, okay. And we would stay up late baking baked goods for the populace of Claremont and thinking of, like, how man was treating the earth and the environmental issues were really big on my thing back then. I mean, I was like Chicken Little. You know, the sky is falling. And I was oh, like sure. one of those people. And so that's how Man is the Bastard came about. as man against nature. It was, that's what it means. That's the, the intent of the name was about man versus nature. Anyway those were the days wow. and so you
1: branded all your amps amps for Christ is that like I'm just picturing that's like your uh, sort of like a brand name for your equipment that you made
0: it was yeah yeah okay and then and it was just because I don't like the uh, right wing Christianity is not my book at all I like the the, the idea of Christ's love over Christ being hateful in any way. Uh Uh-huh. And I find the right wing hateful. Yeah, it's... uh... So, that's not my trip at all. But I do respect the name of Christ, and I am a Christian. And that's what it's about. It's not a joke. But I don't want to be... I found the most Christ-like people that I met in the hardcore scene were devil worshipers. People who looked black and evil, tattoos everywhere, you know, ripped up skin, mean looking people, and with bloody album covers, etc. Mm-hmm. I found them to be the nicest people I'd ever met. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're not gonna you're not gonna walk around like that and being judgmental. I
1: guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was it, it was kind of an eye-opener, yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's where the name... And at the time, there was Econo Christ, and there was all kinds of references in the hardcore scene to Christ in names. And lots of them were jokes. Sure. <laughs> and some of them weren't jokes. Yeah, I wasn't like, sure what to think when I first uh, discovered your music,
1: the Imps for Christ music. Um having grown up in an evangelical household myself. Wow. Um, You know what I'm talking about then. Yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, Yeah. But I was just... um, I I was really intrigued by uh, sort of the variety of uh, just the different sounds you pulled into. um, that. The first album I heard was called The Beggar's Garden. couldn't identify a lot of the instruments on there and I you know reading the liner notes I guess you built a lot of different like oscillators and things like that one thing we were listening to uh some of your records on the way down here uh to California in the van and uh, I remarked to my wife about how you could make
0: any instrument sound like bagpipes yeah, well, that goes way back to when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I do have a lot of Scottish and I'll never forget out uh, in front of my dad's house on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. My old grandpa Barnes, who's very Scotch as he calls it. Uh, I had sent him some like distorted guitars where I was trying to sound like bagpipes when I was 15, and he said, "Why do you want to make your guitar sound like bagpipes?" And I was like, I didn't know what to tell him, you know. And uh, I've never changed. I mean, I'm still into that whole deal. Closest thing I ever got to bagpipes, actual sounding like bagpipes without actually blowing on one, was the Hammond chord organ, S6, from the 50's, tube organ, and I ran that thing backwards through some oscillators, and I had these backwards paths where it was doing, uh, it's called uh, feedback tone control and feedback dynamics. In other words, what was happening was it was, you know, on a real bagpipe, how the high frequencies get attenuated. So it goes,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the high ones are softer. And I got this preamp to do that perfectly with this old tube organ. And I got them tuned up well enough where it would do it. And it's a monophonic, which means it only plays the highest note you're hitting. And you can hold other notes and let go. And it increases the math of the keyboard because then with one finger you can play two notes. On and off. You let go and it's another note. You push down, it's one note. So with each finger, you're playing two notes instead of one, like a regular keyboard. So it makes it more like a wind instrument. And, man, I got it to sound like bagpipes. I actually fooled people. They thought it was bagpipes, you know. On the beginning of the, uh, uh, it's on the beginning of the uh, Plains of Alluvial cassette that was just a couple of years ago re-released on vinyl by Waterwing Records in Portland. My old friend, uh, Alex Uzumoth, uh who did a seven-inch, seven-inch split with Answer Christ back in the day called, uh, and his thing was called Yellow Pods back then with the J. Okay. And so we did this split back then, and we've been friends ever since. Or before that, we were friends, because he, when, when he was a kid, he used to watch Man Ambassador in Orange County. And he was into electronics, and I had these preamps and oscillators, uh, you know, blasting with hardcore that was yeah. my thing. I was kind of too lazy to play guitar, so... No, I wasn't too lazy, but I was into these... I had discovered uh, Oscillators just by accident. Because I was in this band called The Doll in the 80s. And The Doll, they had this song. Their, their biggest hit was this on this con called I Hate the Motorcyclist. I hate the motorcyclist. Yeah, and so I was making preamps back then, and what it was was I was just trying to get the bagpipes. I was overdriving one into another into another. It's like when you put pedals together, and but it was walled with tubes, and I was making it for this guy in the doll, and what would happen was, that once you got the gain up really high and you were running one 12x7 into another into another, then it would get really too noisy. As I'm, I'm sure most people know, it gets really noisy and uncontrollable completely. So, any kind of little variation in the power supply or anything like that causes oscillations. And so, one night I was in this industrial park with a twin reverb on 10. There was no one around. And I was working on a preamp like that. And I was playing a cassette of the Chieftains, actually, through this oscillator into a twin reverb on 10. Okay. In this industrial park. And it sounded absolutely amazing. And then it started oscillating. And it started to, uh, Patty Maloney's pipes, Julian bagpipes, it started doing these octave divisions And arpeggios off of the pipes and I was like oh my god that sounds amazing I'm gonna put a switch on that you know so I found out what I did I put a switch on it and that's how I discovered oh you run the output back into the input electronically not like with a mic in front of a speaker but you do it electronically Mm -hmm. in different phasings with different highs and low cuts and you end up with an oscillator a synthesizer because it's synthesizing a sound at that point then it, go, it can go by itself so it's like you can make a tone all by itself and I that's when I discovered it. it was right before I joined man's the bastards right before I met wood this was like weeks before that and so I was kind of excited about it and then I get in this band and then a year into this band I, I realized I could use this stuff with the guitar because then you can trigger it see if you get the oscillation going and you hit it with enough gain then you can make the guitar be the trigger, and then you can get it to oscillate and do things off the, the note you hit. You know, you can hit it with this note, and you pump it through a bunch of gain, and it goes into something that's going wing, And then this one that hits it, divides it up. And then it divides into like several different octaves, and, or maybe some very odd uh, self-discriminating arpeggios. So anyway, then you can trigger it with a note. You trigger that whole thing with a note, and then it, then you can actually play guitar through it or something, and then then it becomes another thing on its own. And I realized about a year into *Masters of Bass* that I could use that with a band, and I was using the oscillators for overdrives anyway, because they can be used just as an overdrive, sure, if they're not switched to feeding back and stuff. And then it then we had some pretty amazing era, you know, in the like '93, '92 with where. I was doing, like, full oscillations with a hardcore hardcore prog band. You know, like, they were very progressive at that point. The drummer was practicing Tony Williams' jazz licks all the time. And it was like, we were progressive, hardcore. And, but I would be running, instead of playing guitar, a lot of times I'd be running oscillators, you know. You know, like, along with the progressive, like, ten-minute song with very sy- syncopated, slow, written-out, methodical parts. I you know, would be doing this, like, improvised thing over the top of all of our corners. And it wasn't too long after that that everything in my life changed. And you know, I split up with my girlfriend, I moved out of the house, I left Massive a bastard. Everything, you know, it was like one of those flippers, you know, when you flip, everything's Clean slate. Clean slate. You wake up the next day and you're not in the same situation at all that you were before. (laughs) And then I was thinking, well, there's this wheat mold in the Midwest called Vomitoxin. And we got this letter from our wheat supply company at the bakery, at Sumcrust Bakery, where we all worked. And it said, due to the mold, Vomitoxin, your price is going to go up like 12 bucks a bag. And I was like, "Vomitoxin." That's a great name for a band, man. Maybe that's what I'll be. I'll uh-huh. be fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so a real thing. It's a real thing. I made one cassette. I made a bunch of. But before anything ever actually came out as Vomitoxin, I had I had thought about it more, and I'd looked at all my amps and seen the amps for Christ written on there. Uh, I'll be amps for Christ, and I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be. Uh, Well, it's kind of a weird thing to have your name have Christ in it because, and not be right-wing religious, because you know you're gonna have everybody ask you, "What does it mean?" What, you're you're in this hardcore band, you know, (laughs) you know you're sure, sure you're you're not (laughs) you don't fit the mold, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and uh, so I've been asked about that a lot, and you know it really boils down to, uh, actually. I, it boils down to uh, life and death. And that is Jesus saying, if you're embarrassed of me in front of men, I will be embarrassed of you in front of the Father, in front of God. And I did not want that. So I said, I'm going to be unembarrassed of being Christian. So I'm going to use the name Christ in this hardcore band, and I'm going to be unembarrassed and hopefully when I die, uh, Christ won't be en- embarrassed of me. Okay. That's what it's about for me. That's why the name. It's pretty heavy duty. It has nothing to do with the right-wing church. It has nothing to do with uh, destroying the earth, thinking oh, it's okay to destroy the earth because Armageddon's already coming. So we're just right. gonna go ahead and speed up this process. I hate that. <laughs> yeah, I talked to an old biker friend of mine who doesn't have that much longer on the earth he said he thought that Armageddon was a personal thing for everybody that everybody has their own Armageddon this is a guy that's dying that's pretty heavy I was like okay <laughs> whatever you say Bo I guess everybody does have their own Armageddon when you get to be uh to the point where you're bedridden and you know you're going out which is his case yeah okay he's like okay well the way i look at it everybody's got their own personal armageddon that's what it means it doesn't mean it's okay i mean as far as revelation because i was asking him about revelations because a friend of mine was saying that he thought that revelations negates The Bible negates all the good stuff that Christ did. Christ's own acts on earth when he was here, according to what is said, is that it was about love and forgiveness. And then you get to Revelation and it's about the sword and killing everybody who doesn't believe you. And so he's like, okay, well, that kind of negates that. It's like, is that stuck in later by some other philosopher Philosophy people, you know, people that believe in a completely different, hateful philosophy, put Revelations in. At the end, that's his opinion. Okay, this is a friend of mine's opinion, mm-hmm. and so he got me thinking about it. So that's why I asked Bo about it. I said, "Well, hey, the old biker dude." I said, "He's got an old Harley trike in storage. He likes." I said, "Well, what do you think about Revelations?" You <laughs> know, said, "Well, you know, Armageddon. I think that's a personal thing. I think everybody has their own." Personal no Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Bo.
1: (laughs) Anyway. Uh, You know you can interpret that that text a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah. So I'm gonna have to read it (laughs) (laughs) again. Exactly. Well, at the beginning it sounds like the you know, it sounds like the angel doses John the Divine at first. He's on the island of Patmos, he's writing revelations. The angel comes to him and gives him a wafer. So that he can see these things. He takes the wafer, mm-hmm. eats the wafer, and then he's then he trips out. It's almost like he's getting dosed. I mean, there's a if That's, you read it carefully, it's at the very beginning of Revelation, he looks like he's getting dosed by the angel with a wafer. That always kind of like tripped me out a little bit. Like, okay, is John the Divine getting dosed here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lay down my- sister, don't you lay and take your rest won't you lay your head down upon your seniors? so I have a lot of weird inventions yeah, I have some amps that I build and guitars that I build, and sitars, I build sitars this is a banjo that has a buzzing bridge on it notice it sounds kind of sitar-ish sure does that's because it has what's called a jarari bridge in Indian they call that jarari when the string what's is that made of it's just maple okay with a bone top and like if you see sitars there's always that white square sure that's what's going
1: right th- there there's a sitar
0: yeah I'm and get away from me see that white square thing yeah that's the Gerari bridge so that's what causes the zing it's like buzzing it's like a buzzing on itself So I just made that for the banjo. I call this the uh Sir Banjar. Hey, you know like sitar half, half
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <I agree. laughs>
1: say most of which i haven't heard um i was reading the liner notes for your album circuits and i uh, talked about wanting to find a, a female singer to sing the parts that your mother sang yeah career, to as lullabies
0: I was about five, my mom got a job teaching English at this all-girls school in Claremont called uh, Girls Collegiate. And she was teaching English there and she decided that she would bring me and my brother down and have us sing ballads for the her students. So every year, starting when I was about five, we'd go and she had us learn all these ballads and she'd sing the two parts, you know, like some of them were answer and response and mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about doing this one today, which is just, it's her version of the night on the road, which is like the English version is really happy. American version, less happy. And it's about the devil meeting the kid on the road. But that's two parts. My mom used to have me be the child and she would be the devil. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Some nice little role play. <laughs> yeah, right? a little role play. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what have you got there? Would be my mom, and I'd say, "Said the night on the road," and I'd say, at like five years old. Oh, I have got my bread and cheese. Said the child as he stood, and we'd sing together. For she stood and he stood, and it's well that he stood. Oh, I have got my bread and cheese. Said the child as he stood. And the devil would then the devil would talk again and be my mom. So we had a few of those things where she'd do that. And, and she would take us to class and we'd do the wife of Usher's well. It's about this wife that sends her three sons away on and they die in the ocean. And, and then, then she says that she wishes the floods would never stop or the storms would ever stop until she sees her sons again. So they come as ghosts. And they stay the night with her. That's that one's heavy. Whew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can bars. Yeah. Let's see, it's a minor one. That that one's a little. stout and stalwart sons and she sent them o'er the sea they'd not and gone a week from her a week but barely three when word came to that stalwart wife that her sons she'd never see oh I wish the wind would Never cease. Nor foshes from the flood. Till my three sons come hand to me. In earthly flesh and blood. (coughs) Anyway. Then they come home and they visit her. And then they they finally tell her. That uh, they're pushing up daisies. And... uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty heavy song. Yeah. For a five year old. Still gets to me. I you know, this stuff really gets to me. That, I guess that's it comes across in my music. I guess I'm pretty emotional about it. Especially the old stuff like that. Stuff I learned when I was that young. Yeah, I mean, you carry know, that stuff with you. I do. Yeah. It's like maybe I'm a little I'm not Aspergery about it or anything. Maybe a little bit, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very connected. And so then yeah, then uh I started getting into more Celtic music when I was eighteen. And I went and visited my mother in Maine and she'd moved out there to take care of her mom. And I stole a cassette from her. She had made off vinyl record. She'd made this like mixed cassette of all her favorite Celtic bands. And it was on this shelf. And I'd only seen her like once in ten years. And I just grabbed it. <laughs> and I, I got back to California and I started playing all the songs on it. So it was like, there was all this, I mean, she was into all the, like the and the Bathy band, and like all the early, and the De Danon, and the set early 70s Celtic bands from Ireland, and Scotland, and England, like the Steel Ice band. And they were kind of like, that kind of stuff was on this cassette. And so there's her favorites, and then some more traditional stuff like Gene Redpath and stuff. We're on this cassette, so and I thought it was natural.
2: i having a time and leisure, I spent a vacant hour, it's having all my treasure while sitting in the bar and then a kind embrace as I stroke her double chin, singing how you do, and how you do, and how, how you do again.
0: Said I These are long haired early like hippies from ireland in 1970 and they're doing their thing and it's more like cream or something like that you know these are their counterpart in the celtic thing and they're great there's some of the greatest musicians ever there you know so anyway that i was into that kind of thing and then not that i could ever play it you know but i, I did learn to sing some of the songs and um so, uh, yeah, I started out on guitar, and I actually got in a band when I was in third grade. And we did Clementine, The Red River Valley, mm. Drunken Sailor. What shall we do with a drunken sailor that might have been a little prophetic? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we, so we had some songs like that. I remember one of the guys' names was, was Robert Flagg. I, I don't know what happened to these two guys, but we had this little band with, when I was in third grade. And uh, I I took some folk lessons from one one of my mom's friends and learned like the basic chords, A, E, and D and stuff. And uh, you know, it's just, so I started pretty early. By the time I was 14 in high school, I I, uh, joined up with stage band, the jazz band at Claremont High School. And uh, nobody else joined up that year, so I made it. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have, you know. Mm. So you know any jazz? No know how to read music? No. Welcome <laughs> well, <aboard. laughs> Yeah, come on in. You know, you're the guitar player of this jazz band. So I had to learn how to read chord charts and figure out what ninth chords were, stuff like that. I just, the, the guy was totally cool that ran it. His name was Gary Ida, And he let me uh, just play by ear basically for three years and ditch all my other classes too. I finally, I, I ended up just kind of hiding out in the music department. And this Japanese trumpet player turned band leader, Gary Ida at Claremont High School just let me do it. He saw me every day. I'd, I'd come there and hide out in the music department. And in the morning, the marching band would go out. And they'd come back and they'd put all their stuff away. They, they all knew me. Oh, there's Henry hanging out in here as usual. And then they'd put all their stuff away. And then it would be time for orchestra. And orchestra would take all their stuff out and play. And I would be sitting in the corner. And then after orchestra was lunch, and then after lunch was jazz band, which I was in. And then I finally got busted and kicked out of school. But then I got in a special program for people that just ditched. And it wasn't like any other thing, you know, so it was fine. Ended up being able to take, keep staying a stage band. Mm-hmm. But get all my courses covered, you know, my math and English and P.E. and all that covered in this, like, special thing called interdisciplinary. And... It was totally great. I mean, PE was playing volleyball and riding bicycles around, and uh, or going hiking, something like that. That was PE. <laughs> and uh, we got to teach our own classes. So me and my friend Pepper, that was also in stage band, we taught a gu- class on guitar. We brought in Hendrix and Robert Johnson records and played them for the rest of the class on this little turntable. So I mean, it turned out really good. But it was kind of hellish at the time that my dad found out I'd been ditching every class except for music. <sighs> And I was faking P.E., you know, I'd, I'd stand behind somebody who was suited up in the morning before I went to the music room, and when the coach called my name, he'd say, Henry Barnes, I'd stand behind this other guy that was suited up, and I'd go, here! <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd take off. <laughs> i <I'd> go, <laughs> I got away with that for like six months. I mean, I'd like most of the year, I got away, and then he busted me at the end of the year, so it was kind of traumatic. My dad's was like, why did you ditch this class? And why did you ditch this class? And I was like, ah, I don't know, you know, like the teacher didn't like me. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> in my algebra class, the teacher did not like me. Put me in the back of the class. So I just, when I found out I wasn't getting busted for not going, I just didn't go. What do you do, you know? Yeah. I don't advise that. But, yeah, live and learn. Yeah. Recently, so in 2015, uh, Peter Harper, who was working here at the time, goes, Hey, Henry, there's this girl and this guy out here. They want to talk to you. So I go out there, and it's Carrie and Dylan from Gun Outfit. And they're all, Oh, man, you know, we're, we're recording, and uh, we really like answer Christ. We like what you do, and we're wondering if you would play sitar on... The song that we're recording so I was like yeah sure they just came here and found you yeah and so then I said oh sure and then they said well where's a good place to go hiking and I said well you know you go a couple blocks that way and then you go straight up into the foothills it winds up and there's this place called Johnson's pasture north of Claremont this is like a hiking area it's beautiful and I said yeah go up there so they turned around and went up there and then I felt guilty about not going it was a, they came in on Sunday. I wasn't actually supposed to be working. It was kind of like today. I was it was a Sunday. I wasn't actually working, but I uh, and I didn't feel like going hiking that day because I was stayed up late. <laughs> but then I felt guilty about it, so I followed them up and I went up and I saw the Washington plates on this beat up ass van, and I parked and then I went up to the next hill and I could see them like about a mile away on this. Peak of this little hill, and I decided that's too far. I'm not going to go ke- try to catch up with them, you know. So I turned around at home, but I started calling it Gun Outfit Point ever since that little peak. I call it kind of the point. was oh, nice. And uh, so then, yeah, then I went and recorded with them some sitar stuff. Side unseen, you hadn't heard there. They gave me a record they that gave day. gave me a record. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They gave me a hard coming down. Yeah. And I cool went one. and spun it. And I was like, "Wow, that's very weird stuff, very psychedelic, And you know, I didn't know what to think of it. But the next thing you know, I was recording with them. And then after that, they are like, um, "Well, the record's out. The new record's out. And uh, so, uh, would you like to go on tour with us?" So I basically started being in two bands. And I've been to Europe twice with them, and they've been all over to the, like to New York. We've been to the new. That Northwest a lot, and I really got to know Olympia, which I love. You know, because they're from Olympia.
1: Yeah, Dylan used to be my roommate once upon a time.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you know, we'd go, we'd go to Old School Pizza, and they just like walk behind the counter and start making a pizza. And I was like, oh, what kind of a town is this? <laughs> this is amazing. You know, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh And it's really fun to go to Olympia with them because they know everybody. And, yeah. So. So that's the latest thing I've been having with Answer Christ, and you know about half the shows I do with Gun Outfit it'll be Answer Christ as well.
1: That's yeah. That's is, the, I've seen you do that uh, the solo performance. I do a solo thing uh, and then they play too, okay. and then we play. Usually it. about ten minutes. Yeah, about
0: ten minutes, something like uh-huh. that. <laughs> I go out in a flurry of like, and everyone goes, "God, I played at the press about three weeks ago with I um, met Wasif." Mm-hmm. From the folk implosion guy, and um, with Guy Blakesley from the Entrance Band, and I opened, and that was pretty fun. When I was, just, I did the the blaze of glory thing, you know, go out with. The, I turned the amps off, and the vacuum tubes actually drain themselves, so it goes. This is a, they do their own patterns where I stand and point at the amp, or like. And I go, hey, okay. Behold. I, Behold. The amp is going to do its own thing. And as the vacuum tubes, uh, electrons flow out of the vacuum, the amp will go off. And then it'll, and that'll be the end of it. Everyone's like, it leaves everyone like kind of wanting more. And that's the whole idea. You know? Yeah.
1: No, it's a good tactic. <laughs> but then you go on to, you know, continue to do your shit that you do. As a member of Gun Outfit, right, right, you know, and play slide and stuff. It really, um, it really adds a lot of flavor to, uh, to their sound that they've already, you know, they've been building for a while. They, yeah, well, it,
0: well, the thing about Dylan is, you know, his songs are deep. It's true. He's, yeah. he, he kind of empathizes a lot with people. Like he wrote a song about, um, about the fires, for instance, when we were driving up to play with Woods, and we we're driving up north. And uh, Big Sur was on fire, you know, from the whole Monterey Bay area was just covered in smoke and went all the way up to the five. I mean, it looked hellish. And so Dylan wrote a song about that, you know, and it's a beautiful song. And you could tell he was empathizing with the people that live there. I want to live in a different way, I want to die in a different way. It was about, it was about those fires. I want to live. I just, I really totally dig his songwriting. So it's, it's been uh, a real, like, uh, uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to play with Gun Outfit, it really is. <laughs> and with that, I'd like to sh- play maybe a little slide. Well, I'd love to hear so that. I do that with Those nice guys. So this here is 1937. It's called an O17H. Martin, guitar, all mahogany. And it's made in 1937 as a lap slide. That's what the H stands for, Hawaiian. So most of these were converted to regular guitars. People would be like, oh, what's this? You know, let's bring the thing down, put frets in it. Put a new fretboard. But this one's been left natural. And, uh. It. Oh, yeah. I've been joking about, about maybe Ellen giving it to me for Christmas, but you know, <laughs> it'd be quite a bonus, wouldn't it? At uh, it's 3500 Oh, yeah. It's 0017H. It's 1937 Hawaiian. Well, this is a thimble. Yeah, you can play sixths, sevenths, major and minor thirds, wherever you want to in any key that you want to with the thimble. So I ordered some stainless steel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I make these bars that clip onto your finger like that.
1: Yeah, that's, that's beautiful.
0: And then, so then, you, then it frees this finger up. You don't have to hold it. And, but you still have the muting with your pinky. You're still muting behind it. But when you play lap slide, you have to be able to mute behind the bar. 'Cause if you just play normal no mute. It sounds good, but you hear the residual notes of the when it's when there's no muting. When it, when you mute, then it's it's controlled. Controlled notes. So you have to be able to mute, so that's why it's on the third finger, pinky's for muting, and the ring and then the index finger gets to the thimble. So when you start doing that? The thimble trick? Man, it just developed over time. It was like, at first, I decided I was just using bars, and I was holding them with my thumb like this, with no... But I would run into the shoulder of the slide.
1: So I've seen you perform uh, with an ensemble a number of times. Probably about the time when... James for christ first got on to kill rock stars
0: 2005 2004 yeah i think the that's when first I, I saw was
1: uh it was you and uh
0: there was a lady playing the zither and that's singing. tara that was tara and, and i had another girl me. namely emma erica anderson who is now emma E. M. A. That was definitely the highlight of Sur Christ as a band, for sure. It was during that period. They're blessed sure. to have been there. Yeah. <laughs> I had a poet was... that was reading poetry, who was a really mm-hmm. good, beatnik guy. Was... I had
1: what, five or six people? On I had stage? five or six people in the yeah. band, yeah. yeah. I had Joel
0: Connell playing from Man of the Bastard playing tablas. And I had uh Kenyon playing bass. I mean I had like really great musicians on bass, tabla, and then I had Emma playing guitar, me playing guitar and I had Tara playing uh, it's called the Yang Chin it's the great grandparent of the hammer dulcimer it's the Chinese version but it has a lot more strings that was pretty much the highlight for me of Amsterdam you know that, that summer we with that same band we played with uh, Ian McKay at, you know, in Pomona at the Glass House he was doing this thing that next door to the Glass House there was this smaller place that he he played at. And, uh, so that's when that all started, man. You know, it was, God, I mean, I had a lot of opportunities, but I've never signed a dang contract of any kind with anybody, you know, in 2004, I finished this, the, the, uh, people at Arch CD and I sent it to, to Slim Moon and he wrote me back. It was back in the old days of just mail Mm-hmm and said that he was interested in putting it out. And then I got email around then, I I think I got some email. And he called me up on the phone and said, so uh, this is Slim Moon, who's your publicist? And I was like, I didn't even know what a publicist was. I was like, publicist? Oh, he goes, we'll assign one for you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And and he said, uh, well, who's your mastering guy? And at the time I knew this guy that new people at capital he said well tell them you know me and uh you know you'll get you'll get a really good deal at capital so i called the capital records asked for the guy the guy's like oh who's this oh i'm friends with this friend of yours I was, oh okay well that's two thousand dollars then for you you know to master one cd and i was like i'll do it myself i gave myself some german name if you look at who mastered people at large it was me and i gave myself a german name because i i went to borders books and read all these mastering books there you go they had the it was called the handbook of for mastering engineers put out by mix magazine had all these interviews and i just read the whole book i'd sit on the couches at borders reading this whole mastering book so i just tried you know i mastered that one myself and gave myself and they all had german names and stuff a lot of these high-end mastering engineers had german so i said you know i'll just give myself a german name but i told slim i forget what it was like Duschenhauser or something i forget but <laughs> <laughs> is he privy to this or is he gonna no he doesn't about know this? about that <laughs> i never told him i made up a german name
1: wow what about so and then after uh the people at large AFC did
0: like, we did, oh, did the every hashes. no okay. after that we did every 11 seconds Open in the Ashes was it before People at Large, slightly uh, before. I was with Shrimper, who I was, did my last record with, and he's across the street right now. That's Dennis from uh, Shrimper Records, and you know he is the number two man other than the owner of Rhino Records. And he's been there since the uh, 80s, and he was putting out, You know, he put out the Mountain Goats, put out Buckethead, he put out AFC's first release, cassette that released the Plains of Olivia. He was releasing cassettes. It all started really with Shrimper, and then, and it still is with Shrimper. You know, I mean, I, I went to Slim and did those two records, and then after that, I did probably just a bunch of splits and stuff with people, and you know, I haven't really done that many full lengths. Then I did one with Shrimper, the Canyons, Cars and Crows. I did that in 2013 or 14 with Shrimper, and of course Dennis's wanting me to do more of course he wants to do more records of course is that
1: the last uh lp that's the last
0: full official lp yeah Yeah. although i have lots and lots of material i have a whole unreleased albums just because i've been weird lately you know and i wasn't into the digital format that much and i have this one called the golden mean was a full-length record with me and this kind of techno guy named Franz and I was always trying to get him to be noisy and less techno Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's on it every 11 seconds so that real techno stuff that's that's him okay and so we have a whole record we did together that never got released and there's some really good stuff on there it's called the golden mean someday
1: I wouldn't (laughs) complain if you shared a song for us to play on it
0: really yeah Uh, that's that's up to you the desert my friend is one of those songs Ah, uh, we're going out to the desert, my friend. Going riding in the
2: desert, my friend. In search of a rose blossoming with twilight. Off to the river's end. We're going riding in the desert, my friend. In search of a rose blossoming with twilight, off to the river's end. Even in the shadow of the mound, we'll never suffer from a spirit to drown. I can see the oasis filled with the gracious draft of the water above. And the friends By my side I have Nothing to fear In the desert night I'm
0: on a quest To find my vision Together we'll make The right decision Death, my friend. Anyway, it goes like that. It's a really good song. Uh, so, well, uh, you going to be in Claremont for a few days? or
1: Oh, I reckon maybe like another hour or two.
0: Okay. Well, we're, yeah. I, hey, let's go to Suncrest. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Check it out. Yeah. Uh, you want a coffee?
1: Wow, that sounds great. Two small coffees.
2: Okay, what kind
1: did you want to do? Uh, let's go for the, uh, I'll the sucker punch. What would you like? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have the same. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll take cream. Yeah, I'll take cream too. Okay.
0: Did Jack work today? Yeah, he's in right now. These? Tom Henry said, hey. Okay. <laughs> you know how it is. Christmas time in our thing. I worked oh, here for eight years. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, back in the day. All punk rockers, musicians, artists, you know. I know I know what goes on behind the scenes around here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, well before we go out uh officially. Henry, thank you so much all for right, doing brother. this show.
0: Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. <clears throat> Marky? Markley? Markley. Markley. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Markley. I'm I'm really happy to do it and we'll do it again.
1: Yeah, we'll see you in the
0: future. I'll see you in, I'll see you in freaking Olympia. I want to go back up there so bad. It
2: was 1 1 March morning I bring you all I took the road to Jackson Town, a fortune to, to renew. I thirst upon foreign find, no credit could I give, which is, uh... on oh, board oh, oh.
0: My name is Hannah, and Markley asked me to read this outro for this episode. If you are enjoying Low Profile and would like to help support the show, you can visit lowprofilepodcast.com and click on the Patreon link. Any donation of any size will help with the out of pocket costs that a project like this is subject to. Also, be sure to subscribe and give it a five star rating and review. Thanks for listening, and have a blessed day!